This podcast is made possible by Empire Blue Cross Blue Shield, the whole health company. Welcome to Go Bronx Podcast, episode 18. I'm Olga Luce. And I'm Angel. Today, we're going to talk about our boroughs cemeteries. The Bronx is home to some of the most historic cemeteries in the city. While some of them have become eternal homes for notables, others are less known and unassuming, yet still serve as vestiges for Bronx history after so many years. Well, looking at a map of the Bronx, one cannot help notice that in the north central area, there is a sprawling 400-acre cemetery named Woodlawn. Established in 1863 as a landscape rural cemetery, some of our nation's famous are either buried or interred there, such as musical greats Duke Ellington, Miles Davis, Celia Cruz, and W.C. Handy, New York City government notables Fiorello LaGuardia and Robert Moses, famous writers Herman Melville, Clarence Day, and Peter Finley Dune, women's rights pioneers Elizabeth Cady Stanton, Alva Smith Vanderbilt Belmont, Bat Masterson, Admiral David Farragut, Jay Gould, F.W. Woolworth, J.C. Penney, R.H. Macy, Joseph Pulitzer, and even Collis P. Huntington, and whom the library we are recording from today is named after. Oh yes, we are recording out of the Huntington Free Library at Westchester Square. So Woodlawn Cemetery is an outdoor museum of marvelous mausoleums and gravestones that take extreme liberty in various types of imagery, symbolism, and other styles of ornamental design. To learn more about it, listen to episode 10. Hey Olga, here's a fun fact about Woodlawn Cemetery. There are many Latinx notables buried there that hold some peculiar places in history. One of my favorite examples is General Ambrosio Gonzalez, a Cuban-born revolutionary who later became a colonel in the Confederate Army during the Civil War. Another is Alex Pompez, who was also Cuban and owned some of the best teams in the Negro Leagues. He later worked as a numbers runner for legendary Bronx mobster Dutch Schultz, who we talked about in Episode 3, Notorious Bronx. It is purported that Pompez once submitted a favorable scouting report to the New York Giants for a young Fidel Castro. Ay, Dios mío. Well, Castro was rumored to be a big baseball fan. Well, Angel, if you look just to the bottom right of that Bronx map, you'll come across another historic site in the Throgs Neck area, St. Raymond's Cemetery. It was founded in 1874 by St. Raymond's Church, which is located not too far away on Castle Hill Avenue and East Tremont, and is the oldest Catholic church in the borough. So the original cemetery was located on the grounds of the church until space became unavailable. That's when Father Michael McAvoy purchased the Underhill Farm and developed it as the new cemetery, as opposed to the original one. We'll share a burial connection with the Underhills later on in the show. Over the years, St. Raymond Cemetery continued to grow from its new cemetery to an even newer one, encompassing a total of 180 acres. For clarity, the new cemetery is now considered the old one off of East Tremont, north of Bruckner Boulevard. It's where Bruno Hauptmann, alleged Lindbergh baby kidnapper, collected the ransom money from John Condon, this story was also mentioned in episode three, if you want more information about it. 
Mary Mallon, or as history would call her, Typhoid Mary, is also buried there. Yes. Also, notorious gangster Vincent Mad Dog Cole, U.S. Army chaplain of the Fighting 69th, Father Francis Duffy, like Duffy Square near Times Square, and many more historic figures. The newer cemetery, as opposed to the new cemetery, opened in the 1950s south of Bruckner Boulevard. We have musical greats buried there like Billie Holiday, Henry James Red Allen, Victoria Yolie Raymond, better known as La Lupe, famous boxer Hector Macho Camacho, and more. Oh, and by the way, Doña Blasina and Don Bonifacio Talavera are also interred there. Who are they? My mom and dad. Aww. Today, Woodlawn and St. Raymond cemeteries are well known and are still in service. But there are several other grave sites that are not widely in use anymore, with less known stories that shines a spotlight on more Bronx history once revealed. Olga, let's start with the graveyard of St. Peter's Episcopal Church at Westchester Square, which is the oldest congregation in the Bronx. Founded in 1693, St. Peter's Church still serves as a time capsule of Bronx history. The graveyard alone have headstones that date back to the early 1700s that bear the names of families whose names now grace our street signs. You have a number of family members of the Morrises, the Bartles, the Watsons, the A.D.s, the Valentines, and several unmarked slave and Revolutionary War soldier headstones. There's even a section of Quaker graves on the grounds that are unassuming because of their lack of headstones. Notorious patriot Israel Honeywell, who led fearful raids against the British and their sympathizers during and after the American Revolutionary War, is buried there as well. Very interesting. What about the Ferris family burial grounds located just a couple of blocks away? The Ferris family name goes back to pre-colonial times of Westchester and were among its first settlers. The family burial plot on Commerce Avenue was established in the early 18th century and once had over 30 family members interred there. Although the majority of them have been relocated to nearby cemeteries due to vandalism and lack of maintenance, some of the original headstones still exist for display. Charity Ferris, whose house was transformed into headquarters for Admiral Richard Howe during the British invasion of Westchester, was buried there. It was believed that while her house was occupied, Charity had trained one of her slaves to call on the admiral at all times and try to remember everything he said by heart. Then the information was conveyed back to Charity, which she passed on to Continental troops. Supposedly, it was because of the actions of this unnamed slave that the Americans were kept apprised of the enemy's plans. We're going to talk about a few more gravesides after this break. Don't go away. The world has changed a lot in the last year, and more than ever, you need health insurance you can rely on. Empire Blue Cross Blue Shield is the whole health company, and that means they are dedicated to improving the health and well-being of everyone in the Bronx and throughout the New York service area. They've been supporting the health of Bronx sites for 86 years, providing you access to high-quality, affordable care. To learn how you can make a whole health connection, go to Blue. Com. Sigourney Weaver here to tell you about the New York Botanical Garden, 250 acres, 1 million plants, and you. Now open in the Bronx. Plan your visit at nybg.org. 
City Bike is expanding to the Bronx. Membership is only $179 annually. New Yorkers who live in NYCHA or receive SNAP benefits can take advantage of the discounted City Bike membership for only $5 a month. Visit citybikenyc.com pricing to get started. Say, there's another gravesite located on church grounds that also have some major American history attached, right? Of course. Who can forget St. Anne's Church in the South Bronx? Located on East 141st Street, it is the oldest church structure still standing. Constructed and dedicated in 1841 by Governor Morris Jr. to his mother Anne Carrie Rudolph, the grounds still preserve the historic Morris family vaults. The underground vaults hold some of the Morris family's most noted members, such as Lewis Morris, who was Chief Justice of New York and British Governor of New Jersey, and First Lord of the Manor of Morrisania, now the South Bronx. Another Lewis buried there? Major General Lewis Morris, who was a member of the Continental Congress and signer of the Declaration of Independence. His half-brother, American forefather Governor Morris, who wrote the preamble of the Constitution, we the people, and was ambassador to France during the Reign of Terror, is also buried there with his wife, Anne Carrie Rudolph. Even their own child, Governor Morris Jr., who had the church built in her honor, is buried there. We talk extensively about them in episode two, We the People. There are some other Morris family members buried there, but some unrelated graves as well. One major example is Colonel Richard March Ho who invented the rotary drum printing press and owned an estate called Brightside, which is now the Hunts Point section of the Bronx. St. Anne's Church and its burial sites is considered sacred ground and revered as one of the most historic heritage sites of our nation's founding in New York City. Here's another cemetery that has strong American historical significance. The Old West Farm Soldier Cemetery on East 180th Street is always an interesting site to walk by. What started as a private burial ground in 1814, in what was called then the Village of West Farms, the cemetery soon became a place of rest for veterans and those who've made the ultimate sacrifice on the battlefield. One veteran of the War of 1812 buried there was Captain John Butler of the Second Light Dragoons. Another interred West Farms resident was Civil War veteran Samuel Pierce of the 5th New York Regiment who served with Lieutenant William J. Raspberry during Sheridan's ride through Virginia, another veteran buried there. As America entered into other conflicts, this sacred cemetery will once again become permanent home to soldiers from the Spanish-American War and World War I. The last internment there was World War I veteran Valerio Tulosa. Today, the Old West Farm Cemetery is a permanent home for Bronx soldiers of four wars, making it one of the oldest soldier burial grounds in the borough. We're so grateful to the New York Parks Department for taking good care of the cemetery today. Talking about parks, the Bronx has a collection of grave sites located on what is now public park land. One example is Drake Park in Hunts Point. A nice stroll south on Hunts Point Avenue, and you would find a small park sitting amid a sea of factories and car repair shops. Well, Drake Park now surrounds an ancient burial ground of the families that once lived in Hunts Point. Some familiar names buried there are the Hunt and Leggett family, names we see on street signs in the area today. 
The park is named after poet Joseph Rodham Drake, a descendant of the Hunt family who died in the 1820s at an early age due to tuberculosis and was one of the very first writers to be inspired by Bronx scenery. It was long suspected and documented that some of the African slaves owned by these families were also buried nearby, but whose remains were long forgotten and covered over when the current Hunts Point Avenue was laid out. Today, the park also recognizes those slaves and was consecrated as a sacred African slave burial site in New York City. Olga, did you know that after so many years, children from PS48 nearby began a project that culminated to getting the African slave burial mounds brought back into discussion and studied? Wow, I did not know that. Other public parks have burial grounds, but weren't exactly parks when people were being buried there. For example, Bartow Pell Mansion, located in Pelham Bay Park, has a small family burial plot located on the property. Harking back to a time when families buried their loved ones on their property, a practice widely used in early America, a lot of public land today still preserves some of these plots out of respect to the site's historic significance. That's right, Olga. There are some unmarked burial sites located on city plots that are not parkland and fall into much misuse. For example, the old Underhill family burial plot, located on A.D. and Colden Avenues on the eastern part of the Bronx, have significance to Bronx and American history. The site was founded in the late 18th century by descendants of Captain John Underhill, early English settler and soldier in New England who fought during the Peckwood War. Nathaniel Underhill was the grandson of Captain Underhill and was the patriarch of the Westchester branch of the family. Today, the site still sits vacantly without any headstones and too much overgrowth to investigate. Some say most of the bodies have been removed over the years. If you like to see some of the original headstones, there are some leaning up against the rear of St. Paul's Church in Mount Vernon. Wow, that's, that's kind of sad. Don't forget that the Van Cortlands also buried their dead on the estate, which is now Van Cortland Park. Named Vault Hill just across the parade grounds north of the historic house mansion, it was on the death of Frederick Van Cortland in 1749 that a family burial grounds should be established. The family burial plot was continually used until the estate became a public park in 1888. Don't we have a special guest to talk about another yet lesser known burial ground in Van Cortland Park? Yes, we do. But before we welcome him to our show, let's take a quick break. Get it, baby, get it! And now for a little segment we like to call Yo Angel. Yo Olga. You like ice cream, right? Well, me too. I love diving into a pint of Haagen-Dazs chocolate chocolate chip. But guess what? Haagen-Dazs is a Bronx brand, right, Angel? Yes, indeed, Olga. Polish immigrants Reuben Matis and his wife Rose formed the dessert empire in 1959. A couple of decades before that, Reuben sold ice cream sandwiches throughout the Bronx under the brand Senator Frozen Products, which was founded by his mother, Leah. So when it came time for Reuben and Rose to create their own ice cream brand, Mr. Mattis decided to give the brand a Danish-sounding name, giving the impression it was a foreign product. He even added an umlaut over the first A in Hagen. That's the double dots over a vowel. They were of Jewish descent and appreciated how Denmark treated its Jewish citizens 
during the turmoil of World War II. But it was a marketing ploy because, get this, neither the word Hagen nor Das nor the umlaut exist in the Danish language. In fact, according to legend, Mattis just kept saying random words until he found something he liked the sound of. And now you know. Nick Dembowski is the president of the Kingsbridge Historical Society and has worked with the Van Cortlandt Park Alliance and Van Cortlandt House Museum on the Enslaved Peoples Project. So Nick, Van Cortlandt is actually my park. It's, it's near where I live, that's where I go, that's where I walk and that's where I hike. Um, and I've come across this, this uh, burial ground there. They call it Vault Hill. Can you tell me what that is? Well, it's called Vault Hill because that's the burial vault of the Van Cortlandt family that was built in the 1740s uh, at the behest of Frederick Van Cortland, the same generation of Van Cortlands that lived in the mansion, the first generation to live in that Van Cortland mansion in the park. And, you know, for generations, the Van Cortland family buried their dead right there in that vault. And And also some friends of the family and their descendants. Wasn't there some um, very important papers that were hidden there at some point? Yeah, so at the beginning of the American Revolution, Augustus Van Cortland, he was the city clerk who kept the the city documents for New York. When it became clear that the British were going to invade New York, he gathered all of the city's documents and papers and hid them in that burial vault for safekeeping. Wow. Okay. Rumor has it, and you're the best person Uh, for me to ask this question, rumor has it that that's not the only burial ground that one can find at Van Cortlandt Park. That's true, but you have to know where to look. These burial grounds, there are three burial grounds in Van Cortlandt Park that were known by local historians for over 100 years, but were fell off the radar um, through through the 20th century when they were desecrated and forgotten. The first one I'll tell you about is under the parade grounds, which are the athletic fields in Van Cortlandt Park. In the 1890s, as the parks department was grading out that land to be flat for, you know, for polo grounds and for baseball fields and cricket pitches, they uncovered burial pits that were left by the Native Americans that were filled with oyster shells Um, various artifacts, and even some human burials. A local man, J.B. James, he did a survey and drew a map of that burial ground, and he identified 12 different burial sites for humans. The map that J.B. James drew is held by the Cornell University Library, and it shows a, a good section of Van Cortlandt Park, and very specifically highlights the spots where human burials were found. The artifacts that he found, um, he gathered up and he donated them to the Museum of the American Indian. And that's that's in New York City, that's in yes, downtown? Yes, that's the one downtown by Bowling Green. Okay. What, what are other uh, burial grounds are there in Van Cortlandt? You said there were three. Yeah, so the two other burial grounds really have a connected history. One was a burial ground that was set up by the area's earliest European colonists, the Tippett family, for which uh, Tippett 
Spruck is named. In the early 1700s, a man named George Tippett, one of those first colonists, he legally designated a quarter acre of land to be used as a burial ground for his family forever. And he actually indicated that it had been in use as a burial ground for a great many years. And that's in, you know, 1700. So it goes back quite a ways. Um, and, you know, it was in use throughout the colonial period and through the early 1800s. In fact, in Van Cortlandt Park, you can still see some of the inscribed headstones, but they were removed from that burial ground sometime in the 1980s when the city was going through a rough period. And it is thought that the headstones were knocked over perhaps by vandals. So Parks Department workers removed the headstones and they lie on the ground next to the Van Cortlandt House Museum today. I have not seen those. Um, and you know, this gives us this, this, uh, this been just a connection between this part of the Bronx and Yonkers uh, for such time. And, and Tibbetts Brook actually leads right into Tibbetts Park, which is located in Yonkers. And then there's one last burial ground. The third burial ground is connected with the second. It's, they're really right next to each other. Um, this is the enslaved African burial ground that was located on the western bank of Van Cortlandt Lake, right along the Putnam Trail that, well, used to be the Putnam Railroad that was cut through the park in the 1870s. Now, as the railroad workers were building that railroad, they unearthed skeletons in this area, and they could tell from the, the shape of the skeletons and the objects that were buried alongside them that they were enslaved African people. In 1879, the local newspaper, the Yonkers Statesman, uh, published a very short blurb under the title Railroad Matters. And in that article, they take um, a statement from a man named Caleb Van Tassel who lived in the park. And he stated that 50 years earlier, he had made a coffin for a slave who was buried near the Van Cortlandt mansion. Well, I mean, we did talk about the enslaved uh, people's project of Van Cortlandt in episode 13. Um, so if anybody wants to go back and listen to that, um, perhaps some of those names, some of those people that, that were in the census during that time may very well be uh, interred in, in that particular burial ground. Do, do you agree with that, Nick? Absolutely. But, you know, the, the sad truth is we'll never know exactly who was buried there. You know, the Van Cortlandt family ran a plantation in that park, and there were a great many enslaved people that worked in that plantation. But all around the park were other smaller farms and colonial settlements, and enslaved people worked on those lands too. And there were free Black people living in the area as well. Um, they could have been buried in this spot, you know, in addition to the enslaved. And, you know, it just so happens that this location adjacent to the lake in a beautiful park is, you know, such a lovely spot. It could have had a great significance for that early African community that goes all the way back to 1675. That was the first enslaved African man, a man named Adam was that we have a record of. And so this spot next to the lake you know, in colonial New York, there was there were laws passed that forbade get large gatherings of black people. You know, it, but there was an exception made for burials. So this spot next to the lake could have been, you know, a place of real spiritual significance to that early black community in the area because they were they could gather there. 
their ancestors were buried there. And not to mention, they are the people that built the lake. It was a stream that they dammed up to power a mill that the Van Cortland family ran. In fact, the lake was called the Mill Pond historically because it, was, it generated the water power to, to power the mill. An interesting side note about the mill is that one of the millers historically was an enslaved man named Piero who lived, who lived there on Van Cortland Plantation with his wife Hester and his son Peter. So really in this spot, it's something of like a historical focal point for that historic black community. Their people were buried there. They're allowed to gather there. They have a very prominent skilled craftsman in Piero who works there. So it really is just a special spot historically when you think about the historic, the black community in the neighborhood. Thank you, Nick. Now, as I hike up and down the Putnam Trail, I will be mindful that I am on sacred ground and pay silent tribute. If you want to read more about the Van Cortlandt burial grounds, you can go to kingsbridgehistoricalsociety.com. Angel, any other grave sites that many people don't know about? Well, the next time you find yourself in City Island, take a walk down King Avenue and you would find Pelham Cemetery. It was founded in the 1880s, consisting of older headstones as well, and supposedly is the only waterfront cemetery in New York City. With marvelous views of the Long Island Sound, Orchard Beach, and some of the other islands nearby, many City Island dwellers found this beautiful place peaceful as an eternal abode. Yet just across the waterway to the east is Hart Island, the potter's field of New York City. Hart Island, mentioned in episode 13, was once owned by the Pell family, like most of the islands sitting in the lower Long Island Sound. It started to be known as Hart Island in 1777. It is believed to have been a game preserve for the old English translation for deer is the word heart. During the Civil War, the island was used by the federal government to imprison Confederate and house Union troops. Prison conditions were terrible and led to many deaths due to disease. The city acquired the island in 1869 from Charles Haight, architect and designer, and in that same year, the first civilian burial was that of an orphan, Louisa Van Slyke. Today, the island is used as a city cemetery where the unidentified and the poor are interred. During the Cold War, Nike missile silos were erected there. Yes, that is pretty eerie. Here are some other grave sites that are not widely known. One of them is located on the campus of Fordham University. There is a small plot holding 138 graves, most of them faculty and staff, with a small number of students. The grave site was founded in 1857 when the first body was interred. In the 1890s, the grave site was moved from its original location, which is now part of the New York Botanical Gardens, to its current one on the grounds of the university. What about forgotten ones that have disappeared in Bronx history? On Unionport Road, which is now the location of a Chinese supermarket, was believed to have been the site of the mid-19th century Centerville African Methodist Episcopal Church and Cemetery. That part of the Bronx was considered a small village called Centerville, in which its center was the intersection of Castle Hill and Westchester Avenues. There are some records alluding that the congregation was made of servants that worked on the nearby Morris Estate or the Zuriga Mansion. 
There is much more information to learn, obviously, as there is not even one clue of its existence left around today. Exactly. Here is another one, Bensonia Cemetery. It was established in the 1850s as a community burial ground for the town of Morrisania. The cemetery was located just north of Westchester Avenue, along St. Anne's Avenue, extending from Ray Street to Carr Street, which is now the site of the South Bronx Educational Complex. In fact, it's the high school I graduated from, but what was then called South Bronx High School. It was a fine piece of land, adorned with a collection of elms, poplars, and evergreens, with lanes named after different saints. Captain Oliver Tilden, Civil War hero, who was believed to be the first Morrisania resident to die on the battlefield, was the most noted burial there. His remains were transferred to Woodlawn Cemetery in 1878. In 1868, the cemetery was no longer being used. Soon after, St. Anne's Avenue was extended through, causing many bodies to be removed and then relocated to other cemeteries. Over the years, most of the land was taken up by rapid development and street openings that only about two acres remained of the original Bensonia Cemetery. Beginning to be an eyesore due to its abandonment, the city finally acquired the land in 1908, removed the remaining graves to Woodlawn Cemetery, and built PS38, now called the South Bronx Educational Complex, in 1921. Wow, that's pretty spooky. I hope they got all the bodies out. Actually, not quite. Just this past February, construction workers unearthed more human remains as they did some excavation. I guess that's another way of finding out, huh? No, this is not the year to mess with the spirits. Well, Angel, it has been very interesting visiting graves with you today, but we have to rejoin the land of the living now. Thank you all for tuning in to our Go Bronx podcast produced by the Bronx Tourism Council and made possible by Empire Blue Cross Blue Shield, the whole health company. Additional promotional support is provided by NYC and Company. Mucho thanks to our pod headquarters, the Huntington Free Library and Reading Room, for hosting our recording. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at GoBXPod. To access some of the links mentioned in this episode and for more information about previous episodes, go to GoBronxPod.com. And while you're there, subscribe to our e-newsletter. As, As always, always, I'm Olga Luce. And I'm Angel. Bronxfully Bronx yours. yours.